Welcome to Cybercast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Anastasia Obis. Joining me today is Melissa Weiss, Director of the Vulnerability Disclosure Program at the Department of Defense Cyber Crime Center. In our conversation today, we'll discuss the Defense Industrial Base Vulnerability Disclosure Program pilot that ended in April 2022, the results and lessons learned from the pilot, we'll discuss what ethical hacking is, and the Department of Defense collaboration with the security research community. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to speak with you. So we'll just dive right in. First of all, to set the stage for the conversation, could you describe what DC3 does, its mission, and your role within the DoD? Uh, certainly, and thank you so much for having me today. Uh, DC3, the DoD Cybercrime Center, is uniquely positioned to take care of law enforcement, counterintelligence, specialized training, forensics, uh, for analytics, as well as uh, defense industrial base vulnerability reporting. And of course, my area of expertise, the vulnerability disclosure program. Uh, even though we are are positioned under the Air Force. We are a DOD-wide, or what we call a purple mission. Uh, so we do service all of the military defense needs. So before we talk about the Vulnerability Disclosure Program, do you mind telling us the trajectory of your career and how you got to the position you're currently in? Uh, yes, I, I came into this career in sort of an odd way. Uh, first off, I started out in, uh, in the creative realm in advertising and design, and I did that for about 20 years. But I always had a passion for computer programming since I went to a magnet program in the um, third grade. And they taught us how to read punch cards. And I thought, wow, this is a secret language. This is so cool. I want to learn this. However, I came from a long line of artists. And so when I went to my art teacher in high school and I said, I'm going to go into computer programming. He said, no, you're not. You're going to art school. And so I went to art school. And immediately after that, I took computer programming classes and um, and received like an, a CIS degree, a computer uh, information science degree back in the early 80s. Now, mind you, there was no computer graphics back then. Fast forward, and I think, you know, lightning doesn't really strike twice. However, fast forward, and after being in advertising and design, I started teaching um, organizations how to use uh, graphics programs. And so I opened up my own technical training business um, that was national. A lot of my uh, clients were the government. And so one of my POCs said, hey, you know, you don't have a clearance. If you come out here to Maryland, we'll sponsor you and uh, you can get your clearance. And I thought, well, that'll be good. Uh, maybe I'll do that for a year or two. That was 13 years ago, just to be <laughs> clear. Um, and so in the time that I've been with the Department of Defense in different aspects, it has just been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, every time that I think, well, I'm kind of done with uh, this, uh, something new and interesting comes along. And so I've been at DC3 for three years now. Um, I came to them as the um, chief operations officer. And uh, then my, uh, my former boss, uh, went to Air War College, and so I competed for his position as the interim director, 
And then when he did not come back, I became the director last year. So um, it's been very interesting uh, working here. Prior to that, I was down at the Pentagon uh, working in uh, cloud migration. Uh, so I had 400 plus information, legacy information systems to roadmap to the cloud. So that was a, a good challenge to get, get me motivated to uh, take on this one. <laughs> that is an amazing journey. <laughs> Thank you so much for that story. Now going back to the Vulnerability Disclosure Program. So could you give us some background on it and describe what it is, what the mission is, and what the goals of the program are? Absolutely. Uh, the Vulnerability Disclosure Program is the youngest directorate within the DOD Cybercrime Center. Uh, in 2016, the um, there was a very innovative group called Defense Digital Service down at the Pentagon uh, that came up with Hack the Pentagon, and they used uh, crowdsourced ethical hackers from HackerOne uh, to attack the Pentagon, and uh, basically in a bug bounty program. And at the time, uh, the newly late Ash Carter was the Secretary of Defense. And he said, well, that's wonderful. We found all these vulnerabilities, but who's going to make sure that we take care of those? Uh, and so that's how DC3 was tapped to stand up the Vulnerability Disclosure Program. So unlike a bug bounty program that pays out monetarily and runs for a short duration, the VDP is an enduring program. We also do not pay monetarily. We give reputation points to these crowdsourced ethical hackers all over the globe. We are not giving them uh, any extra information or credentialing um, that the adversary wouldn't have. So we're using that same adversary emulation uh, in order to collect the vulnerability reports for the DOD. Uh, we are codified in the 8531.01 as the sole focal point for um, receiving all of the vulnerability reporting for Joint Force Headquarters Doden and U.S. Cyber Command. Uh, previously to last year, uh, we started out with our mission set to be all of the websites for the DOD and protecting those. However, last year in January, we were granted a scope expansion. And the SecDefa allowed us to expand to all publicly accessible DOD information systems and networks. So that includes Internet of Things. Um, it another focus right now is industrial control systems, uh, mobile devices. So we like to say we ostensibly went from 2,400 units to 24 million units overnight. Uh, so we have a very vast scope that we uh, that we protect. That's amazing, which is a good trajectory to the next question. Would you, first of all, for some of us who don't know, what is ethical hacking? Could you describe what ethical hacking is? Absolutely. So we, we think of hackers um, and the analogy is usually uh, given as a white hat, black hat, gray hats. Um, so they get hacked. Um, but basically, um, so your black hat hacker would be your adversary. That would be your bad guy. Okay. Or gal. I want to be uh, equal opportunity here. Uh, we do have a lot of, of uh, females that work for our organization and uh, contribute as well. Uh, 
but you, you're going to have this uh, researcher, if you like, or hacker who is out there and they're just looking and probing day in, day out, looking for vulnerabilities. Now, typically, um, those adversaries, then, they're looking to do harm. We have the white hat ethical hackers or the ethical uh, researchers who are doing exactly the same thing. They're out there scanning networks. They're probing. They're prodding. Uh, they're looking for vulnerabilities. And instead of... Uh, going out and uh, selling those uh, to a nefarious uh, partner, what they do is they they submit that through our vulnerability report management network, uh, which we call Vermin, lovingly. Uh, through the Vermin system, uh, we can track cradle to grave those reports and get them over. The most important part is getting those remediated in a timely manner. So we can send those over to the system owner uh, and allow them to take care of that problem before uh, someone on the black hat side could actually, um, you know, get in there and do some damage. Right. And also, in addition to that, could you define what safe harbor is? Absolutely. So a very important part of the VDP program, we basically have three components, if you will. Um, the first is a well-defined policy. So we want to make sure that our researchers know what's in scope, what's out of scope. Of course, uh, with the scope expansion, uh, you know, basically all the OT information systems that are publicly accessible, it's a huge scope. But we, we clearly define what they're allowed to do in there. Uh, and then the, the second part is the process. So I like to describe it this way. Um, what our researchers will do is, let's say you went on vacation and you think you locked up your house, but our researcher comes along and tries the, the doorknob and they're like, oh, it, it doesn't seem locked. And they open the door and they say, oh, look, it's unlocked. Um, they then will close that door and you know, send the report to us to be taken care of so that we can have that remediated and get that, that position locked up. What that is, is then the channel. And the channel is the safe harbor. By following that policy and our procedures for reporting, they then are not held liable for civil or criminal liability for reporting that vulnerability. So this is so amazing. Now, I'm curious, because at this point, DOD runs the largest ethical hacking programming in the world. I'm curious to know what the culture evolution has been like up until this point. You know, it, that's a great question, um, because, again, as you can imagine, in 2016, uh, I'm sure when Defense Digital Service went and said, we're, you know, we're going to uh, run, we're going to hack the Pentagon, um, I think people would be pretty incredulous. And I can tell you, even when I brief the VDP now to um, other, other uh, federal agencies or even other governments, um, they also are like, what? You will do what? <laughs> you will let um, these researchers hack you? Um, but I can tell you that through the years, these six years, um, I've seen just an adoption by a whole of government approach that VDPs are really a low cost, 
um, easy way to find out about vulnerabilities. Um, keep in mind that you know the nefarious uh, black hat hackers out there, they already know uh, where your weaknesses lie. It's the system owner that needs to know. So by saying, well, we don't want to know that, uh, you can't, you can't this day and age uh, put your head in the sand. You have to know what your weaknesses are. And the beauty of our program is that by based on the severity ratings of the findings, um, we set up a time set for those system owners to remediate those programs. Um, so if they have a weakness, um, if it is critical, they'll get critical or high, they'll get seven days. Um, if it's a medium level finding, they'll have 14 days. And if it's a low level finding, they'll get 60 days um, to find those weaknesses. Now, clearly, um, another component of the MITRE ATT&CK framework besides uh, common weakness enumerations or CW is CVEs, common vulnerabilities. Um, now, those vulnerabilities tend to be in software, software-based. And again, that would be up to the software vendor or manufacturer to take care of uh, remedi remediating those problems. Uh, so they would have their own time scale outside of what I just quoted. I'm also curious, you guys are the trailblazers. I'm curious if uh, you see other agencies following in your steps. Yes, um, certainly I get a lot of uh, requests for, for providing the DOD VDP 101. Um, folks are very interested in what a mature VDP program um, consists of. And part of our mission right from the beginning was to have transparency and to be able to brief out uh, other organizations. Now, another thing that's definitely driven the ball forward uh, for adopting VDPs was the DHS CISA Binding Operational Directive uh, 20-01. Uh, now, that required within two years that organizations would need to stand up a VDP if they were doing business with um, U.S. governments. So that has driven um, the need for folks to stand up their own VDPs and um, uh, basically learn about this service. Um, one of the great things that we do also offer um, is our we have a vermin as the service. So we do have a turnkey operation that um, organizations can contact us and get all of the framework that they would need for a VDP. Um, already, you know, as you said, we're the world's uh, largest, we're the first federal uh, vulnerability disclosure program. So it's a, it's a quick leg up for a lot of folks. Now, um, you touched a little bit on that, but I'm curious, the uh, security research community, they've been performing work with unclassified information. I'm curious if there will ever be a point where they will have access to more sensitive networks. Is that even something that is possible? Well, that's not within our scope currently. Um, it, so ours is in the unclass uh, domain, and that's that's pretty much where um, we are residing. I can tell you that in those 
uh, years that we've had, there's plenty to uh, to be reported. We're just uh, just shy of 45,000 reports uh, right now today. Uh, so there is a lot to be had on the Unclass networks. I'll pivot to your defense industrial base vulnerability disclosure program pilot. So it ended in April. And I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about the pilot, you know, the idea behind it and what were the results and uh, what were the successes or what didn't work, what you learned from the pilot? Absolutely. Yes, the Defense Industrial Base Vulnerability Disclosure Pilot uh, was a one-year program that uh, we we started. Uh, so for this pilot, what we really set out to do is we wanted to answer the question, will the DOD's Vulnerability Disclosure Program actually poured over to the Defense Industrial Base? How would that work? And again, because you know the DOD has a vast a uh, number of assets, whereas if we're going to be working with um, private individual companies, we needed to be able to have their public assets available to us. So as VDP, we did not have um, the authorities to do that. So we, we partnered up with an internal uh, portion of DC3, which is uh, what we call the DICE program. It's the DOD uh, Defense Industrial Base collaborative information sharing environment, so DICE for short. Uh, and we also collaborated with um, the DCSA, the um, Defense Counterintelligence um, and Security Agency. So again, those two organizations are in charge of um, dealing with the uh, defense industrial base and making sure uh, that they have reporting capabilities. So what we did was uh, in that partnership, we had a signed MOA uh, with DCSA and uh, we opened it up after a nine month feasibility study with uh, Carnegie Mellon SCI. We thought, oh, we'll just do smalls and mediums. Again, we felt like they were the organizations that wouldn't have built in cybersecurity knowledge or maybe even you know, access to it. And we would offer this out voluntarily. Uh, we build out a completely separate uh, vermin service. So we did a div vermin so that would not be touching government data. We kept everything in, in, uh, completely anonymized uh, for the companies. No company could see another company's reports. We uh, did a lot of white glove service. We gave them individual Slack channels so they could talk to our researchers, our internal researchers. Um, so we gave a lot of effort into this program. It went for one year. By the end, uh, so we thought we would have 20 companies uh, volunteer. By the end, we had 41 companies in the pilot. Um, so every 60 days, we onboarded a few more uh, small to mediums. It was wildly successful. Uh, we had over 1,019 vulnerability reports uh, that were submitted to us. 403 of those uh, were actionable, and we have estimated this to be about a $61.4 million savings for the defense industrial base on those 403 uh, reports that we took care of and were remediated uh, for the dip. 
now that the pilot is over, what have you been working on? What are you working right now? And I'm curious about your goals for 2023 and what the future holds. Well, one of the things that we are working on for the defense industrial base pilot is how to turn that into an actual program. Uh, so that does require government funding, going uh, to the OSDK palming for that. So as you know, in the U.S. government, that FIDEP can be a long process. Um, but uh, but we want our, our uh, our defense industrial base partners to know that uh, we are looking to put that into an actual program for them. So we're always looking to innovate. And I can tell you about another pilot that we did, and it was much shorter. It was a one-week pilot. Uh, we did this in collaboration with um, Defense Digital Service has now uh, morphed into the CDAO, Chief uh, Division of Artificial Intelligence. And uh, we collaborated with them and with our partner, HackerOne, uh, to offer out Hack Us, and it was hack.us. Um, but basically, over 4th of July, we did a patriotic theme. So from uh, July 4th to the 11th, we had a small purse of money, about $110,000, that we offered out for criticals and highs. And again, usually VDPs are not paying out, so this Play a bug bounty event. It was wildly successful. We had over, we had 648 vulnerability reports came in, and we had 139 new researchers uh, participate in the program that had never contributed to BDP before. So it just goes to show. I mean, this is not a, our program is not a open license to hack. It is a see something, say something program. These researchers. Um, whether they're getting paid through a bug bounty or they're just doing the day-to-day -day vulnerability disclosure program, they want to help keep um, the U.S. safe, and they're very committed to national security. Now that we're wrapping up 2022, what are your priorities for 2023? So for 2023, we are really focusing on partnerships, partnership engagements, uh, looking to broaden our reach for VDP uh, through our lines of effort uh, five, which reaches out to academia. Uh, we have a, a, a partnership that's ongoing right now with Northeastern University doing some research around VDPs and bug bounties and looking to create curricula for that. We certainly look forward to additional partnering with CDAO and also with DCSA uh, for the defense industrial base. So that's really our focus for 2023. That's amazing. Melissa, thank you so much. This was a fascinating conversation. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for having me. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.